Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I am here with my co-commissar, Jason, and I am so glad to be back in this spot. How are you today, Jason? I'm good, but I can't hear you very well. Yeah, well, <laughs> it didn't want to fade out for some reason there. The music is so good, it just wanted to keep on playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well... I, I'm good. I'm I'm honored to be back on the show. I know we haven't done a show for quite some time. It's good for us to be back at it. It's been far too long. Uh, I've been out for kind of unusual reasons. Somehow I managed at 39 years of age to get the chicken pox for a second time in my life. I had it at four and then I, it was so much fun. 35 years later, I decided to do it again. And <laughs> it, well, I don't, recommend it and i certainly am hoping not to see a trilogy i'll just say that <laughs> yeah those are not the right kind of trilogies am i right so absolutely not wow. now, now you did make me feel a little better reminding me though of someone else who got chicken pox in his late 30s uh ozzy smith I, I'll, anything i can have in in common with ozzy I, I mean maybe this is my first step to my my baseball career yeah, I, I do remember um, in the mid-90s there, Ozzy landed on the disabled list with chicken pox. Um, and that was just about the only way that Ozzy was going to land on the disabled list back then. So um, that's interesting. But yeah, you're in good company. The Wizard, the Hall of Famer, you share something with him now. So hard to argue with that. Well, uh, not exactly what I was trying to share with him, but I'll take it. I would love to share more with him. And there are a number of folks I'd love to share more with. Uh, certainly one of them was one of the greats of Cardinals history and sports broadcasting history, Tim McCarver, who passed away this week. And comrade, you had some things you wanted to share about McCarver. Wow. Maybe we should talk about him. What what an amazing career he had and, and what an amazing voice for baseball. 21 seasons as a player. Uh, the two-time World Series champion in 64 and 67. He was on the team in 68 when the Cardinals lost in seven. He was Bob Gibson's personal catcher and best friend. Uh, he's a Ford C. Frick Award winner uh, the, at, for Hall of Fame announcers at the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2012. So, he, um, you know, and he, he broadcast something like 23 consecutive world series he was the color analyst so um as well as being the the lead color analyst with joe buck on fox for 23 years so uh what an incredible career an incredible life really and you know i used to gripe about mccarver he came back to the cardinals booth um in the late 2010s there and he did his final game in 2019. And we would complain about his old stories and uh, his grumpiness on the air. And now that he's gone, I would really love to hear his voice again, you know. So I'm sad. I'm a Cardinal through and through, and I know you are too. And uh, that's just how we feel. He was so incredible um, that he played in four decades as a baseball player. Uh, he was a rookie in 1959. And he played in six games in 1980 for the Philadelphia Phillies. So 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, Tim McCarver 
as a player and then all that time as a broadcaster. Somebody else wrote in an essay that Tim McCarver was to baseball as John Madden was to football broadcasting. So um, that is high praise because nobody taught people more about football um, in television than John Madden. So, And I would agree with that. I think McCarver was able to make baseball understandable to the average fan, but still interesting, not simplistic, not silly, not frivolous, um, to the point where he had some strong opinions on the air, which he wasn't afraid to express. So I miss him. Um, I pray for his family and friends who've lost him. And, man, Tim McCarver, what a loss for us all here in St. Louis. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm really going to miss his voice on the air, too. I enjoyed I, I thought, what a neat thing for us as Cardinals fans that he came back when he wanted to slow down and added color commentary to quite a few Cardinals games over those last few years. And and like you said, lots of people got really frustrated at stories, but there was something sort of enchanting about his way of storytelling. And it, it just, it often struck me, here's this great, and he's chosen to wind down his career by coming back and being the hometown Cardinals voice. Uh, and what a wonderful thing that was. It, it's uh, certainly also is striking to me just what, how our Cardinals speaking of voices have been upended over the last few years. We, we had McCarver for that, that little period uh, in the end of the 2010s, as you mentioned, of course, we just had Mike Shannon retire a couple of years ago and that really sad transition is as he was working his way off the air trying to recover from covid and and everything that that involved and then of course we lost Danny Mac um over the winter with uh the DWI and and that that whole situation and now it looks like we might lose our regional sports broadcasting network entirely which is an interesting thing with Bally Sports Bally is apparently on the brink of bankruptcy which I think affects 19 different baseball teams, uh, including the St. Louis Cardinals. So that, that's quite something. Yeah, you know, um, the, the Cardinals uh, did everything to assure the fans that they would find a way to get the Cardinals games to the fans. And I, and I believe the Cardinals would step up and, and make that happen. But one of the problems is that regional cable broadcasting, sports broadcasting, is really suffering. In 2010, here's a stat for you. 91% of U.S. households were buying cable or an equivalent satellite service to watch their sporting events. And now that's down to 60 and dropping as we speak. So to go from 91 to 60 so precipitously in roughly 12 years, uh, that's going to have an impact on those franchises. So... Uh, all the joking from Jimmy the Cat Hayes about uh, regional regional cable sports broadcasting, uh, we love it, but they are struggling. And so hopefully our Cardinals and hopefully the other teams can jump in there. I did read that uh, Major League Baseball is less impacted um, than some of the other sports um, like the NBA uh, and, and other sports. Uh, but I, I hope that our, I hope that our local team, uh, will step forward and, 
Uh, if we have to stream it directly from the Cardinals, fine. I'll pay whatever they want. Um, I ha- I have an MLB.TV package, so I'm not too terribly worried about it. Uh, I don't even use Bally. Now, the good news is some of the blackouts would go away um, because those are all through the cable and satellite companies anyway. Uh, so we should be able to see more of our own games, more out-of-market games, more games that don't happen to be sold out, that kind of thing. Uh, but if we lose Bally right now, that will cause a disruption in town. So hopefully it doesn't happen. Well, it does raise a couple of questions, I think. And, and, and you mentioned the disruption. I, I think the the thing I'm, I'm not clear on um, is what that would mean even for those out of town if suddenly baseball, ha- Major League Baseball has to go source a new team. Because if you look at even the, the broadcasts that you find in MLB.tv, those those broadcasts are them relaying what's being produced by the regional sports network. So yeah. if, if the sports network goes belly up, um, you're going to need the whole team, the the audio engineers, the the cameramen the and women, uh, the the announcers, the color commentators, all that has to be reconstructed. Now, I don't know, and I, uh, I know with um, certainly the radio broadcasts, the radio announcers for the Cardinals are on the Cardinal payroll. And so I'm not sure, I'm not as clear on the TV announcers and how their relationship to the organization versus Bally Sports plays out. Do you know that, Comrade? I don't know precisely how that works out. I don't. Um, I wish I knew more because we have that interesting twist here that um, in, in the unfortunate loss of, of Dan McLaughlin uh, after 25 years of broadcasting, we are getting in theory, if this all still plays out the grandson of Harry Carey as the new broadcaster for the Cardinals on television, which would be, be a pretty neat twist. Um, but how that all plays in, it does seem, and, and you mentioned this with the, the blackouts, from everything I've been hearing, Major League Baseball seems pretty confident that if Bally goes into bankruptcy protection, that they can, I think, pretty much just cut the contracts and move it all over to MLB.tv. Certainly, baseball has long been perhaps the leading sport in managing a streaming service. And the one big flaw in MLB.tv right now is that it's of basically no use if you want to watch your local team. It's only of use if you're out of the market and want to see a team um, such as yourself, comrade. You know, you're you're in South Carolina, but you follow the Cardinals. It's perfect for that. Yeah. But for years, this wonderful service is useless if you're a Cardinals fan living anywhere that Fox Sports Midwest goes, for example, or Valley Sports. Uh, uh, good old yeah. days, Fox Sports Midwest. Um, <laughs> so... I have to say, I'm kind of almost, I hate to say this, but in a certain, to a certain extent, I'm kind of almost hoping this happens and that Major League Baseball brings it all in-house because I would much rather be able to pay $120 a year or whatever for MLB.tv than to be forced to have either DirecTV or, or Charter Spectrum as a provider in order to watch baseball games. Because, you know, nowadays we have all these streaming TV providers like Hulu and and a sling, um, YouTube TV that are by all accounts providing better quality service for less cost. But one of the things that's really affected Bally is 
they haven't been able to come to an agreement with any of these providers to carry the regional sports network. Valley wants too much for it, and and the the providers won't pay. Um, it would be better for all of us if we see this become an over-the-top streaming service where we can just pick up the Cardinals because I don't need linear cable television, but I would like to be able to watch the Cardinals. So it'd be great if we get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and and Major League Baseball is well aware that people are moving more and more towards streaming, so hopefully they can adapt very quickly. So we we did have another sports topic we were going to. There there was some other sporting event that happened really yeah, recently, wasn't it? You know, there's some like minor league sport of some sort that fills in the time while we're waiting for baseball to return, right? <laughs> I believe we're talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, I knew it was something like that, like the the nice bowl or the the ultra bowl or something. I I um I will just frankly admit to the audience that I have not watched the Super Super Bowl yet. It's unavoidable to know the score and to know the basic outcome. So basically, um, Philadelphia committed a penalty toward the end of the game when it was thirty five thirty five. It was a holding penalty. A lot of people said. The referees should have swallowed their whistle. I don't agree with that. I think it was a clear foul, and that brought Harrison Butker into range to kick the game-winning field goal. Um, and the Chiefs won their second Super Bowl in in the last several years. And I I posted on Facebook uh, that we are now in the Mahomes era, uh, and I think we are. This young man, Patrick Mahomes, the son of Pat Mahomes, who pitched in Major League Baseball, whose uh, godfather is Tom Gordon, who pitched for the Yankees. Um, This Patrick Mahomes is now taking over that mantle as maybe the best quarterback in the NFL, even while not having the greatest game in the Super Bowl. Um, But he's got two rings now. He went head-to-head. You know, he lost in the AFC Championship game to Tom Brady twice. And he's only, whatever he is, 26 years old. So Patrick Mahomes is going to be the face of that franchise uh, with all possible respect to Travis Kelsey, the great tight end. But Patrick Mahomes is going to be the face of that franchise for more than a decade, I'm sure. Still 15 years or so, probably. So, Well, high praise for him. Certainly, um I guess people like to watch the Super Bowl. I, I heard some people watched it, uh, maybe a few people here and there. Um, and one of the favorite parts of everyone's Super Bowl watching experience would be the commercials, and we will have to talk about that. So, of course, the Super Bowl commercials are almost a sport unto themselves, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. We we wait for them. We're we're eager. They cost uh more than commercials at any other time. So they better be good. They better have an impact. And one of them had an impact, didn't it? It did. Uh it it stirred up a lot of conversation even before the Super Bowl. I, I suppose that's really the goal if you advertise on the Super Bowl. You're you're looking to be the one that people are talking about not just on the day of the Super Bowl. And not just the day after, but maybe even in the lead up. And that happened with the He Gets Us campaign. Uh, he Gets Us 
originated, as far as I know, about a year ago. Certainly my first encounter with them was during the beginning of the baseball season last year. They they dominated the radio ads. I know they've had television ads, billboards, the whole bit, helping to, as they say, try to help people rediscover Jesus, people who tend to think of the worst of the church and associate that with Jesus. They want want people to instead see Jesus as someone who's gone through the things that we go through, uh, just like we're told in Hebrews, that that he was tempted the way we were. He faced the things we were, yet without sin, and therefore he can can advocate for us. And that's what the campaign's about. And they spent $20 million to advertise during the Super Bowl. They ran a commercial, I believe, between it was the first and second quarters, and then a much longer one, a full minute commercial in the fourth quarter. Um, and comrade, you hadn't seen that, that longer commercial, I know, until we were preparing for the show today. But maybe you'd like to just share, what was your impression of that commercial? I thought it was an absolutely incredible commercial um, because it, it shows you these still photos of various people, uh, whether they be on about their business or struggling in some sense. Uh, maybe arguing with other people. You see lots of still photos of of people just going about their day, people in conflict, uh, different sorts of people, different races, um, obviously different sexes. Um, and so the still photos grab you, and then there's, there's music that plays, um, and it's a catchy tune, and you're like, man, I'm into this. Where's this going? And then... They they end it with, um, Jesus loves the people you hate, uh, and so it challenges us. And one of the things that I said to you before we went on the air is, I didn't want he gets us to become this super sentimental thing, where we just try to be as inoffensive as possible in our presentation of Jesus. Um, and this one really punches us in the face. It challenges us. If there's somebody that we hate right now, uh, Jesus died for that person, and that was the message. I thought it was very effective communication in terms of letting letting your curiosity pull you along. Where's this going? What do these pictures mean? What does this song mean? And then, bam, hits you with the, the punchline there, if you will. Uh, it's not a joke, but really the the mm-hmm. meat of the commercial is right at the end. Um, and also, I want to say a lot of people were critical of the $20 million price tag, and maybe we could have helped the poor. And you could make that criticism at any time about anything. And I think if you're spending $20 million and you're reaching over a billion people with a one-minute commercial, uh, it was money well spent. So... I think it was great. I think it was the most effective thing from He Gets Us that I've seen to this point. Uh, so well done, I think. And if I would have saw it, seen it, I would have been rather pleased. Uh, so I, I totally agree. Uh, the the twenty million. When you think about, we don't flinch if a church spends money putting up door hangers or or does any number of other things to reach people. And that's good and right because the church should be trying to reach people. But when you actually break it down for the number of people that watch the Super Bowl, the impact per person 
it doesn't sound as outlandish then. And I think that's sort of unfortunate that people latched onto the cost. The real question is, what did it do? And if we look at it, one thing I saw, I saw, you know, they conduct surveys after the Super Bowl. What commercials are people talking about? And the survey I saw earlier today suggested that this was the second most talked about Super Bowl commercial of the year. And in about half the states of the country, it was the most talked about Super Bowl commercial. And it wasn't necessarily in the most religious states where it was the most talked about. So so I hear that and I think $20 million and you're causing the conversation at the water cooler the day after the Super Bowl to be about Jesus. I like that. Now, I don't know if everything people were saying was, was good because certainly a, there have been a lot of angry reactions to this commercial. But the first step, and as a publicist would tell you, any publicity is good publicity. In this case, I think it is. If people are angry because they're being confronted with what Jesus says and they have to wrestle with it, that's a much better reason to be angry than most of the reasons we find to be angry. If we're having to really engage with Jesus, I'd rather someone be uncomfortable and engaging with Jesus than not. And and so that, that encourages me. And I wrote in a piece earlier this week on Open for Business. People can check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. And I entitled it, We Don't Get Him, um, that I think people's reactions to these commercials, and especially this one, is incredibly telling of where it's poking us in the places we, we know that we're wrong and we need to repent. Um, I saw sort of the more progressive side of of the religious world and the secular world coming at it for how dare these right-wing rich people run a commercial like this trying to say Jesus wasn't political. And and it sort of, I think about that, and they were trying to imply there was some super secret right-wing conspiracy behind it. And you look at it, and if anything, the commercials is convicting to the side of the political aisle that of those running the ad as anyone. And we should be celebrating that. If if someone as a Christian is willing to say, you know, all of us are, are really not in the best place at the moment in the way that we deal with our disagreements in this culture, we should be celebrating that. But they're not, I think, because it does such a good job of pegging all of us in, in this problem that we have with anger and the way that we we feed our hate that it just feels like the first response people want to make is anger back to it. Uh, and, and likewise, on the on the right, uh, you know, people angry that, well, this clearly just shows that Jesus has gone woke or something, and, and that's not it at all, um, you know. But but it's convicting all of us that we need to actually love our enemies. Politics has become religion, um, and yes. I think that's that's why you see that that vicious anger, because um, because you said you you reminded us that people were saying they were offended by Jesus wasn't political. Um, well, the problem is that you want him to be political. Um, why? Because politics is the only thing that matters for you. It's, or it's the central thing. Right. Um, and it doesn't need to be. So we could come at that from so many directions. He challenged us in our partisanship. He challenges us, um, with where politics itself is, he challenges us to see everybody uh, how he sees them, which that no matter 
what we do, that's going to be a losing effort for us. We will never succeed in seeing everyone all the time the way Jesus does. So yep. we'll never come out looking good if that's the measuring stick. So um, we, we just got to get on. We got to get comfortable with that uncomfortableness because we, we can't get rid of that one. We're going to lose that one every time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at this and I think, I think this is working because it's poking the same spots that Jesus has always poked. You look at in the gospels, how he confronts people sometimes very indirectly, always with love for the person. But if you look at the way that this is causing reaction, it's very much like the way Jesus's earthly ministry caused reaction. And so maybe just maybe it means it's actually doing a pretty good job of portraying Jesus. And just one more thing, if if someone doesn't get a chance to read the whole article, I, I think people wonder, well, what's the point if he gets this? If people go to the website and check it out, it's going to encourage them to take action. And it has two actions that encourages people to take. And this this is where I think I've seen a third criticism. Well, it's not really encouraging conversion. It's not, it's just creating a Jesus as a nice teacher type picture of Jesus. And it's that's not it at all. If you actually look at the website, the one action encourages people to take is go through a series of short Bible reading plans through the Gospels that guide you to see who Jesus actually says he is. And it challenges people to look to the cross and to to repent and so on. All that's in there. It just, it's recognizing our cultural moment that you can't start there. People don't already have such a high view of Jesus oftentimes where all they need to be told is, here's how you get to know Jesus. People need a whole new introduction to Jesus. And you can't do it all in, in 30 seconds or a minute it's a process, and I think he gets us is trying to spend time doing that process of actually saying, let's reset back to who Jesus is. And if people are willing to go on the journey with them on that, then when they start to say, okay, well, I want to know more, they're happy to say, well, here's where Jesus is in the Bible, and you can actually see who he really is. So so it's it requires patience. The second action they encourage people to, though, is to connect with a church. And churches can sign up for free. Little Hills, my church, we're part of this. And if you're not in the ministry world and used to the way things are, maybe you just assume, well, of course, if a group's trying to get people to know Jesus, they're going to say that churches can sign up for free and participate. But that's not really the way it usually works. Ministry is as much of a business as anything, oftentimes. But here, the donors that are sponsoring this have donated all the infrastructure for churches to connect with people too and to pray with them if they have prayer needs and if someone wants to get plugged into a church to to help them to do that. So um even even uh here's a thing, comrade, I'm not sure if you you saw this, but like every other ministry and like every business it seems like these days, there's a, a merch shop on the He Gets Us website where you can get T shirts and hats and stuff. Yeah. And so you think, ah, now here's where the real twist comes, right? Because they're going to say, well, you can have this nice Jesus t-shirt for 30 bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. Here, th- this shop will not take money. Whoa, okay. If you go to the He Gets Us website and click on the merchandise section and go to their shop, it will let you pick out a shirt, a hat, and a sticker uh, of your choice. They have some nice ones. And it will give you a price, and the price you get to pick, it has a whole drop-down menu, and it's things like loving one of your enemies or spending time with someone who's hurting. Uh, And you're asked to pick one of those and then go do it. But they won't take any money. They won't even take shipping. 
Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So they, they're actually living their message. They're even trying to use things like we all like to get T-shirts and stuff. They're even using that to try to direct people to live the things that Jesus calls us to live. And so I, th- I just think it's a really a neat thing that isn't getting enough credit. Yeah, I agree. And And you are working at making me revise my opinion on this whole thing. And since you preach the gospel for a living and you have a trustworthy character and you're my friend and my brother, if you say it's a good thing, it's a good thing. I, I can, I can vouch for that. So yeah. Oh, well, thank you, comrade. Wow. Well, I, I hope people will check it out and maybe it'll revise some opinions of our listeners as well. Speaking of revising opinions, another thing I'd like to work on revising your opinion of is something that just celebrated its first anniversary and that's biblical.com. Our first sponsor of the show today Biblical.com is a word-a-day game in the style of Wordle, but with words from the English Bible. And then its sister site, Anagrammel.com, is another word-a-day game of a different stripe. And they're both fun. They're both ad-free. And I hope people will check them out. Just go to Biblical. That's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com. Check it out today. It'll be a wonderful break for you. No, the boycott continues. Ah. Comrade, we are kind of on a a theme today. Uh, We just got done talking about He Gets Us and what's happening with that. And really when it comes down to what we're hoping with things like that, and a lot of what we do in the church is to see what we sometimes call revival, to see people get excited about Jesus, to see people come into his kingdom and want to be a part of it that aren't already. And something's happening at Asbury University. It's being called the Asbury Revival. And, well, it seems like there's actually a revival happening. Uh, Comrade, you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I haven't seen any videos or anything, but I've read lots of, like, first-person tweets and things like that. Um, It seems genuine to me. Um, And and it doesn't seem to me as somewhat of an outsider, uh, and we can talk about that a little bit more later, as somewhat of an outsider, it doesn't seem like uh, just sort of cultural identification or or things like that, that a lot of criticism is happening. If the Holy Spirit is moving, um, I'm all for that. Um, and if a certain thing is not genuinely of the Holy Spirit, the fact that people want to get to know him, one of the persons of the Godhead, I, I think that's a very positive thing. So I, I, I'm encouraged. I mean, if there's praise and worship breaking out, if there's Bible reading breaking out, um, if there's praying breaking out, I mean, uh, where's the negative? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm just a school teacher, so what do I know? But the, that sounds good to me. Um, what, what have you heard in terms of the criticisms of the Asbury revival? Well, um, Two of them that really stood out to me, and it sort of, I feel like I, I'm getting into this this stopped watch syndrome or something because I keep coming up to the same sorts of things. But with the He Gets Us campaign, you see both the progressives and the conservatives attacking it uh, for not doing something. And I, I think it's sort of missing the point. Same thing here, I believe. I, I saw, for example, some of the more progressive Christian commentators talking about Asbury Revival saying it, it's too white. 
uh, because it happens to be in a a town that's mostly white and it has mostly white students, but they interpret that as somehow exclusionary. Um, as far as I've seen, I've seen absolutely no reports suggesting anyone of any any ethnicity is is unwelcome. I think everything I've seen is quite contrary to that. Anyone who wants to come and be a part of it is is very much welcome. Um, it seems to be more of a demographic thing, but that's been a criticism sort of on that same trend than I saw one progressive theologian saying, if everyone doesn't leave there and commit their life to social justice and, and want to fix all the racial ills of the country, uh, that, that it wasn't a true revival, which seems like, yes, we can, can't we agree on the one hand that there are a lot of racial injustices in this country, and yes, Christians should care about them, and at the same time say, that's not the defining thing that determines whether a revival is a revival or not. Uh, is, there's going to be a lot of steps there. You're going to have um, people who are going to be called to different work. Not everyone's called to fix one particular ill in society other than the ill of not knowing Jesus, right? All Christians are, no, are called to do that, but we're all going to have our particular spot on what we're going to feel God's leading us to as far as the, the broad swath of ills in society. The, the other thing, though, is revival doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to walk out of it as a mature Christian that has a perfect understanding of what they need to do in the Christian life. A lot of people are going to be just starting the Christian life and, and if, if yeah. it's actually doing its work. So there needs to be a, a lot of grace for some people are going to come out of there genuinely new believers for Jesus, but don't necessarily get everything already. Um, so uh, that's the, the, the progressive criticism I wanted to tackle. Conservative criticism, though, you know, there's a lot of suspicion anytime you have kind of like this organic revival, because people look at it and say, are they orthodox enough? Are they, and we should care about orthodoxy. But when a bunch of students get together and are excited about Jesus and are praising him, you might not have everything we'd want to see in an organized ministry right away. And that's okay. Uh, like you said, we need to leave some room to get to know the spirit. Um and particularly disturbing, I've seen a number of conservative commentators who either are afraid somehow this is going to be a bunch of of young people, so they're not going to be conservative enough in their politics, which, crying out loud, our point isn't to make good politicians. We were just talking about that. Or because it's become such a big thing, you have some, you do have some nuts showing up uh, that are going mm -hmm. to be a part of this. And they're saying, well, if this nut shows up, the whole thing is bad. But if we're going to start discrediting an entire movement because some nut shows up, we'd have to discredit pretty much anything any human being ever does of any significance. And so just like the criticism on the left, the criticism on the right is just totally missing the point. And we just I feel like it's just looking for a problem where instead what it seems like is some students genuinely want to know Jesus and want to experience the Holy Spirit and maybe this revival that we spent so many years praying for might actually be happening at least in this one little place. And it'd just be nice to celebrate that. Yeah. I mean, if the nuts are going to cancel something, there goes the entire church. So, um, I, I don't know what, <laughs> uh, we, we take everybody. That's the point. So, uh, I don't know what to say to that criticism. It's just, uh, do any of us have our ducks in a row? I don't think so. Uh, I heard it was a hospital for sinners. So, uh, sinners, weirdos, you know, geeks, 
whatever you want to say, this is a home for everybody. And and if it's not, then we have missed the message of Jesus. So uh, that's my thought. And I echo everything you just said on that as well. Well, I I like that. We uh, have room even for the geeks, like two uh, political Christian geeks that like to talk about the news and culture that matter to people Mm. and happen to host a (laughs) podcast named Zippy the Wonder Snail. Yeah, if we're not geeks, nobody is, right? (laughs) Exactly. Comrade, do you know who the second sponsor of our show is today? I believe it's faithtree.com. It is indeed. And if you haven't yet checked out faithtree.com, friends, you should. Faithtree.com is a place where you can get your news, weather, Keep track of your your stocks, search the Bible, find great sermons from a variety of people from, from different churches and ministries and backgrounds. You can be encouraged and informed all in one place, a place that isn't trying to package you into a tracking product that they can sell to advertisers, but rather to serve you. And so if you haven't already, sign up for a free account at faithtree.com. if we could get the licensing i would have had something else playing during that classic rock loop there instead i would have played above all the classic ccm praise and worship song yeah as we talked about before we went on the air i love that song and so do you yes it is so good if you haven't heard it or you haven't heard it in a long time i'll go ahead and put a link to a version of it in the show notes i'll probably do the michael w smith version just because i'm a mws fan and unafraid to admit it there you go isn't everybody an mws fan they should be if they're not they should be i agree yeah so we we got to talking on this for a a couple of different threads of our conversation but uh one of them wrapped around above all and and I actually saw a, a few months ago someone who made the case that Michael W. Smith was apostate in part because he was willing to perform this song. And you've seen criticisms going back, uh, what, a decade and a half or more now of this song. Uh, maybe you'd like to just help our listeners if they haven't heard this uh, understand that. And then we're going to get to some biblical truth that we think helps with it. But maybe you'd like to just talk through the, the issue first. Yeah, I just think uh, that in some people's minds, uh, when when people are really um, zealous for the glory of God, they don't like the sort of the individual focus of above all, uh, like the like the very end of I guess it's the very end of the chorus. Uh, you took the fall and thought of me above all, um, and and so I had one friend many years ago said. He's not thinking of me above all. Jesus isn't thinking of me above all. He's thinking about the glory of God. But the glory of God, at least to some extent, is the salvation of humankind. So um, if Jesus wasn't thinking of me personally, then why is why is Jesus, why is God the Father, why is the Holy Spirit requiring me to accept their message? So if I'm supposed to accept the message 
and it is for me personally and individually, then the benefits of that salvation have to be for me individually as well. So I don't think there's any there's any trouble at all saying he died for me, he gave his life for me, he thought of me, he knows me by name, because he does. Remember, um, at the end of John's Gospel, uh, when uh, Mary, I guess Mary Magdalene, thought he was the gardener, and Jesus said her name, and she turns, and she recognizes him. Um, when Jesus says your name, you're known better than you'll ever be known by anyone else. So we better leave room for Jesus to be able to say our name, to say your name, to say my name, Jason, Tim, uh, Tim Krenning, even Jim Krenning, our, our buddy. Uh, so, uh, and, and all the members of the, the Faith Tree Men's Bible Study. Um, but yeah, if, if Jesus, if we're not comfortable with Jesus being personally acquainted and individually acquainted with each of us, then I don't even know what we're Christians for. Um, is it all about us? No, but wrapped up in God trying to glorify himself and succeeding in glorifying himself, he brings us along for salvation, for our benefit, for the what we're destined for, to be with God forever. So, uh, pardon the pause there, but yeah, I don't know any other way to slice it, so you take over. Well, uh, you and I were talking about, you You had a, a great point that Galatians 2.20 seems to to speak to this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think the key point I want to make right there is he loved me and he gave me my himself for me. The me is not erased. I am not erased right. when Jesus dies and, and gives his life for me. I am not erased. I am dignified. I am sanctified. I am glorified even. Let's say that. Justified and glorified and sanctified and purified and uh, I, we're repeating ourselves. But you know, um, we're, we're not erased, uh, but in other places you might get confused because it says my life is hid with Christ in God. Um, but I'm still alive. I'm still here. Right. So he knows me personally. He loves me personally. And that's why he went to the cross for me. And I, I have long known, I have long preached to people and told people, um, he would die for you if you were the only one. He would. He would. Uh, just because he died for billions upon billions of us uh, doesn't take away from that intimacy at, intimacy at all. Doesn't mean he's going to organize everything to make us happy. No, um, not in some fleeting sort of broken sense. No, but it does mean that our true happiness is to be with him. And he certainly wants us personally to share that happiness with him in heaven. So. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think what you're saying there, the personal part, there's a, a certain corrective, even a good one that we see in our, our theological circles where people want to push back because they're afraid that we're making it all about us. And and we're we're such a 
a therapeutic society now. We have, you know, huge self-help sections in our bookstores and, and online. It's all about how to build up yourself and so on. So I get the, the concern that when we start talking about he loved me, he gave himself for me, uh, that we can make it very, very much just self-centered. But at the same time, we, we can't go overboard. This is scripture. It's not something I'm saying or you're saying. It's, it's something that, that God has inspired in his word that, that he loves individuals. He loved Paul. He loves you. He loves me. And just because our society at times gets overly obsessed with the self doesn't mean that God isn't actually caring about us as individuals. And when we were talking about this earlier, I, I found myself thinking of Ephesians 1, 4, where Paul talks about how he chose us before the foundations of the world. Before anything, including time, existed, he knew each of us. And we're not just sort of you know, some simulation that God has created and there's a bunch of little specks down on this globe and, oh, there's, you know, a big mass of specks down there to God. He cares about each one of us. We're told, Jesus says that God has numbered every hair on our heads. And so it's perfectly consistent with focusing on God's glory and perfectly consistent with focusing on our own sin that, that we could never earn favor before God to say at the same time that God loves us individually and that above all, he thought of us. And I, I love how you brought that up about that if whomever you happen to be talking to were the only one to believe, the only one to follow, uh, that Jesus would die for that person. We, we, we don't want to lose that. It's, God's love is so incredible. And I wouldn't be surprised if right now, as someone's listening to this podcast, someone is thinking, well, God could never love me. I could never... Uh, I know my own faults. I know my own unworthiness. And so I'm not even going to try to come to the Lord because he He might love other people, but he'd never love me. And and if you're in that place, I think that the, these words from Scripture are there for you right now because God loves you and not just you, plural, a big mass of people, but you individually there listening, us here who are recording, he loves each of us. And we we need to hold on to that because it it helps us to remember that God isn't just some distant king of the universe, but Scripture tells us He's our heavenly Father and He loves us. We're His children. I uh, I can't add anything to that. You're the pastor, and you sound like one. Uh, so thank you for that good word. And I I think it's a word that we can take into the rest of our lives this week and and run with it. So hopefully you've been encouraged by all we've talked about today. There was a lot of Jesus today. I hope our non-Christian listeners don't mind. I hope our non-Christian listeners reconsider uh, the person of Jesus. Um, and I hope all of you enjoyed what we talked about today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Tim. Uh, thank you, comrade. It's always a joy to do this with you, and I can't wait until we do it once again.